Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors. Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. More ramblings with Rich, carrying on, Will talking about show promotion. Finally, <laughs> he surprised me. He had a question for me, which I think he'd been wanting to ask me for a long time, about the very first show I promoted, I actually co-promoted with Gervis back in, I think it was 1974. It may have been the first show I ever attended. I was the promoter. I think it probably was the second, because I think I'd been to a show in Houston. But be that as it may, there were simpler days. As Rich points out, it was BYOT, bring your own table. So Rich and I had a good time with that. I hope you enjoy it as well. So here's our discussion about shows in general, and specifically my recollections of that very first show in Dallas. Again, hats off to Gervis Ford, my longtime uh, business partner in the store and just a great guy. I think he did all the heavy lifting. I was putting a little bit of frosting on his cake. So here it is. If it's a local show, the first day of your two-day show and sitting there and having people ask you for stuff that you do not have with you, but it's within driving distance, it's home. I've thought about that. If somebody were to Say, you know what, what I'm really looking for, do you have this? Actually, I do, but it's at home. I'll bring it tomorrow. But that would require that people would come back the next day. But do people do that? I I actually have had... They'll say that maybe one in every 10 will actually come back the second day. If you're asked for items, unless it's something really weird, something that outside of what you normally take with you, you should have it with you in one way or the other. Uh, I, I know a lot of customers make their best purchases by asking, do you have such and such a thing? Because they'll figure if it's not being displayed, then, then to the dealer, it's not as important as the items being displayed. Okay, one more theory. What if you had differential pricing for whether or not you were bringing fresh inventory? In other words, the promoter charges you less if you're bringing fresh inventory. If somebody brings the same stuff exactly that they brought two months before at the other big show, if we're talking about the Dallas Card Show now, then to me, that's not as appealing, whether it's cards in the case, if it's the same cards, or cards in a dollar box, it's the same cards that already went through. I want dealers bringing fresh inventories, and I'd like to give them an incentive to do that. And some of the dealers you and I work with, are aware of that and they either mark what was brought last time or or indicate this is new inventory to look through, but it's a pain to look through cards you already looked through. The boxes we went through at the last show, the guy was very clear, this is all new at the show. But they're not going to be new this time. But then there might be some new things in there or they might be readjusted. he He said he's not going to, but at least I like it when people tell the truth. He's not making me guess. He's saying, I will not be bringing new stuff. That's going to completely be played out. Then all new stuff the next time. Okay. All these dealers we frequent, you can't expect them to have all new stuff every time, but sometimes they do. So the promoter, I just think would want to give incentive to anybody that's bringing in fresh inventory. I think we had the singles club effect <laughs> at the last couple of nationals. It's not a crowd. It's just you and me <laughs> and maybe Mike Summer or John Newman. So there's a few guys there. And next thing, there's a bunch more. The and- singles club loves us because we talk about them so much. <laughs> Every show, I'm always looking to add names to my mailing list. And I have nearly a thousand names now. 
them on my mailing list. I try never, unless it's an emergency, to send out more than one email in a week. I don't want to overload you. Okay, so the next concept we're going to do is we're going to do Krispy Kreme marketing at shows. And that is that I've got some Krispy Kremes behind my table. I'm a dealer. And you are welcome to have one if you spend 15 minutes at my table looking through cars. I like that. Okay. And then they're going to go around with the sugar on their mustache or whatever. And people, where do you get that? It probably is somebody that needs to have some pretty substantial inventory that doesn't mind getting sugar crumbs on it. But you have people at the synagogue show who know that our hot dogs, chip, and soda deal is $3. And they always ask to make sure we're still doing that. Because to them, that's an attraction. Not only am I getting to the show, but I don't have to overspend for my lunch. Rich, this last time I came for lunch, but I think I just had the hot dog, which yeah, again, a dollar is a lost leader for you, Rich. I'm pretty sure. Actually, none of it's a lost leader anymore. The food used to be a lost leader for us. We used to lose $92 every show on food. Four straight shows, I could almost make it work perfectly. That doesn't sound perfect to me. Perfect means breaking even, at least, I think. <laughs> How did it work when you ran your very first show with the dealers had to bring in their own tables? It was just a little small room. We had people coming from across the country. It was pretty and they amazing. all brought their tables with them? There were some tables there, but not enough. There had to be some because it was in a meeting room that was down near White Rock Lake. I, I don't remember bringing any tables from home. Maybe Gervis did. He didn't live that far away. And we were the co-promoters. I, I, I guess there were rental places at that time, party rental places where they'd rent tables. But I don't remember people doing that. Because the ad for the show used to be in Gervis's store. And that always struck me when he had the flyer for the show. And he said, provide your own tables. There were guys that had cards in the windowsill on a ledge. There were multiple rooms. It was like a clubhouse, meeting house thing. Some of the dealers did bring their own tables. I think I brought like a card table, not a six-foot table, like a square, whatever those are, three feet. The synagogue, I had enough room work. At my first place, I could tell people, bring your backup table with something to put behind your table. We have room for that. If you want to display extra stuff, that's how you do it. The tables fold now and they'll fit in your car, whereas the old Formica tables were so heavy and would really get knocked up and mess things up. They just were heavy and bulky and all metal. Do you remember how many walk-ins came into that first show? We didn't count how many walk-ins except how many that came in with collections and cards for sale. And there were several. And what happened was all the money got sucked out of the room by the end of the day because of the walk-ins that came in with their cards. And so we'd have instant auctions more so than selling to the first dealer that you saw, we, we would just do an auction. But I was out of money. I don't know that Gervis was out of money, but Will Davis, the noted collector from California that's passed away now, came all the way over there. There was, I think John England was there from Little Rock. So very noteworthy collectors and dealers were there. If you brought hundreds of dollars, I don't think people were bringing thousands of dollars. And the walk-ins walked out without their cards and with hundreds of dollars, let's say, but there was some really good stuff. And so toward the end of the day, things went for really cheap and I couldn't bid 
because I was out of money. I bought a bunch of stuff. Gervis bought a bunch of stuff. Will Davis bought even more. Uh, and then you'd be trying at your table, you'd be trying to sell something, even if it was a little bit of a lost leader, so you could get some cash so that you could buy the next walk-in thing. And so it was just surreal because now I look back, I think, wow, if I'd had more money, I'd have just bought everything because it was. We it was all wish we had bought everything on the dollar. in those days. Any on the dollar. Because yeah. it's interesting when I heard you talking to Layden, it's, it's a different world buying a collection today than it was in 1975. It seemed like a lot of money at the time. It, it, it wasn't in one sense, except there probably were some people in the room that were wealthier than others. Gervis was seven years older than me and had a successful career and all that stuff, but he hadn't really started his own company at that point. So he was an employee, but he spent aggressively. I spent as aggressively as I could and other people did. But you wonder why there wasn't some kind of a Barry Halper person that walked in and said, I'll just take it all. <laughs> Because I don't think they did it that way. Because th there were multiples, there were sets. Guys would have a run of Tops and Bowman sets, and we just auction them off, and the run of them would go for hundreds of dollars. And now they'd go for $100,000. But people didn't think about buying on credit in those days. You, you weren't thinking, I'm not going to go to the bank and get a loan for baseball cards. I, I guess you could put it on your credit card, but people were taking credit cards in those days. I, don't, I mean, there, were, days there were a couple stores in New Jersey at the time, and I don't think they were taking credit cards either. And you know, hard to take a personal check from somebody that you don't know at that point. It was all so new for us. But you could see these cards walking in. You think, I want that. And it was going for cheap, but I just was played out. It was measured. That happens. I get tapped out too with it. I buy stuff at the Dallas Card Show. There's times by Saturday morning, I've got nothing left. I spent my budget for the show. I know I did well, but I spent my budget. Well, the ultra modern collectors now that really go for the grails and stuff like that, they talk about consolidating their collection. And if they're going to buy something that's really expensive, they'll go quick, sell a bunch of stuff. But you can't sell it quick enough in those days. The liquidity was not. This is pre-price guides. This was pre-internet, pre-not organized hobby, but it really was not as well organized. It was pre-organized hobby. The, the best thing we had was the Trader Speaks as Sports Collectors Digest in 75. They're barely a year old. That was just the first show in the Dallas area, but there were shows in Detroit and New York and uh, Southern California earlier than that. So we weren't the first, but it just showed how thinly traded these cards were those early shows in the mid seventies being in a position to buy the walk-ins when people walked in and said, I've got cards for sale and we said, we'll auction them off. And it was a fair auction, but it was an auction among a small group of people that wanted to buy those. And it was spirited bidding, but you were trying to buy it wholesale. And I don't think people were going to pay. It's nothing like today where people think, what are the cops? What did it sell for? And I'm going to pay that much or more. There was none of that. It was like, if you thought it was worth X, you wanted to pay half of X because liquidity. And you were buying on instinct. I remember it took me a while too. And when I first did shows in 79, I was buying and selling on instinct. But you knew if some rodeo meats walked in or Wilson Wieners or Stallmeyer Franks, these hot dog cards and regional cards, if they walked in, all of a sudden everybody perked up because everybody wanted that. If it was just tops and Bowman sets, it was all... I've already got that. They still would take it because it'd be good trade material, but they would just, it's just, I've already got that. Were there any dealers in those days that weren't collectors too? I think Will Davis was more of a dealer than a collector. 
he was savvy. He'd been a collect. The thing is, there were no dealers that didn't have collecting instincts, I think. So basically, the people in the room were pretty knowledgeable, but no one knew. When somebody would walk in, there would be a regional or T206s and things like that. People pounced as much as they could. We ran out of money and we were happy. And it was not a long show either. It wasn't a nine to nine thing. It was banker's hours and we were drenched. We were exhausted at the end of Gervis. On the other hand, there's something nice about not having to tear down when everybody walks away with their tables, Rich. (laughs) But that was a fond memory. It was really prehistoric. The first show, you just don't know what you don't know. For our new friend Kyle, not Kyle Robertson, Kyle Robertson worked his way up. And uh, Gervis worked our way up to bigger, big. But you got to start somewhere. And uh, the next one was bigger. And then the next one was bigger. Then at some point, I moved. And Gervis took it from there and did a great job. That's a great trip down memory lane. It was never Gervis's main thing. It was never my main thing. And so we really were supplanted in some sense by serious promoters like Wanda, who did a great job because that was her main thing. And so hats off to her, again, deceased now, but really had a great run because she took it really seriously. And we were just, the, hey, it'd be nice to have a show. Nobody's doing a show. And everybody liked it. I don't think we made any money. Actually, you weren't even thinking about making money. You were thinking you had access to collections. It was like a buying trip, except kind of flawed in the sense that you were bringing other competitors to your buying trip. It's a buying trip. You're defraying your costs. And if you sell something, you're really defraying your costs. 61 top sets. uh, I had 21 bucks on it, but I had to go down to 18 to sell it. 61 tops, baseball. Nowadays, you can't even buy a high number for $18. You can't even buy a common high number, I think, even. And forget about it with some of the high number Mantle and Mays and Aaron and stuff. The man in the house who calls. The man in the 